This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, it's a crazy morning. We're going to talk about some crazy things. Uh, a few crazy things today. There, there are a few things that are, are crazy in life. I began to uh, pay attention to words significantly in the past six months, because the last six months of my life, I spent a lot of time editing a dissertation. And then I sent it to an editor, and she sent it back to me. And I'm going to tell you what, I've never seen so much red on any document in all of my life. Red everywhere. I don't know how they got that many, I don't know how many pens she had to go through to mark that baby up. So I realized that I had to really pay attention to words. And she uh, frequently throughout my text said that I used intransitive verbs. I don't even know what intransitive verbs are. I, I never did well in English, but I had to fix all of those intransitive verbs throughout that document. So paying attention to words was something that I, uh, I cared deeply about. In the sense of um, uh, watching that, caring about words, I, I began to listen to how people talked and how they described their life how they described what was happening in the world, how they commented about um, things that they saw, things that they felt. I realized that people like the word crazy a lot. I don't know if you use the word crazy. Uh, I, I myself use the word crazy. And it, for me, I find that I use it almost like on a spectrum, almost like a color spectrum. But it can, it can define a lot of things. For instance, my youngest daughter, her, her first name is Kyrie, and there's a lot of times when she's just having fun, running around. This is a picture of her. Everybody else is smiling, but Kiri's got that, the old thumb thing, you know. So I call her Crazy K. Love, love hanging out with, with Crazy K. She, we never know what she's going to do, but she's always going to surprise us. And so calling her Crazy K means she brings a lot of fun to life. A lot of energy, a lot of fun, really engaging. And then, um, but that's not the only way I use the word crazy. It's probably not the only way you use the word crazy. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about the season that we're in right now. That is the season of, of, of a national change of an election to define the word, or they've used the word crazy to define what they see happening with the presidential candidates. Um, I thought this was the best picture we ought to use. And then Taylor thought the next one, this one, would be a better picture reflecting upon how if you like somebody here or loathe somebody here within this, there's, you've probably gone through this cycle thinking about who's going to be the next leader for our nation, thinking, I think this is just a really crazy time. And for a lot of people talk that, that way about it. I mean, there's some other crazy things happening in the world too, like the Summer Olympics are going to be held in Rio de Janeiro, right? Did you know that Brazil is technically in winter? That's kind of crazy. Think about that for a minute. They're in the summer, and they're in the southern hemisphere. It's not summertime in Brazil, it's winter. Taking the Summer Olympics to a winter place. I don't know, that's kind of crazy. Cleveland, I think, probably experienced a little bit of craziness this past week when the Cavaliers won. They haven't won anything for 54 years. The Cavaliers won. Craziness. Uh, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were on a, on a trip, graduated from, uh, from Asbury, went on a trip. On Memorial Day, on the on Memorial Day itself, we were in Washington, D.C. We were on the steps of the Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial. 
And we looked over, and there was a guy who was wearing a Donald Trump T-shirt. He had a ram's horn, or a, a shofar, which is used to call people to prayer. And then he had one of those um, electric-powered speakers, and he was playing a Martin Luther King Jr. speech sermon through it. And he was standing there. And every so often, in the midst of the speech, he'd blow the shofar. And just kind of looked around and tried to make sense of all that. Donald Trump t-shirt, shofar, Martin Luther King. The end of all of that, I just don't know what to do with it other than say, it's, something's crazy going on here. Not really sure what to make of all that. And on that same day, <clears throat> we went to... Uh, my sons and I and, and some friends that we were with, we went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And we toured the Holocaust Museum. And we came to this one room where they have pictures of an entire village of about 3,500 people. And they're able to capture um, most of the pictures of the people who lived in that place who were then taken away to concentration camps of some sort. And after you go through that sobering experience, crazy takes on a whole different nuance. How do you describe that kind of evil, that kind of program that didn't just destroy an entire village, but ravaged an entire continent of Europe and brought six and a half million people, let alone the, the soldiers then that would be engaged in World War II to their deaths? How do you define that? Cra crazy is a term that covers that whole gamut, right? And sometimes there are days, there are moments when that gamut uh, you find present in your own life. And sometimes all of those things along that spectrum are present in one day. Everything from joyfulness to great sorrow to great sadness even to great tragedy and evil. All of that can be present in one day. So how do you, how do you walk forward? How do you have joy? How do you, how do you walk with God? How do you remain faithful? As I was listening to the conversations and thinking about that word crazy, and um, I, don't know, I don't know where it was, but I just had this yearning, drawing, almost like the Holy Spirit was inviting me to go to the scriptures and read the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you'll find it in the Old Testament. Daniel was a, a prophet. He was, um, but he was a prophet who didn't get to live in Jerusalem. He was a prophet who lived in Babylon. He was taken away as a, as a young boy. He and a number of other young guys who lived in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and sacked it took away a group of teenagers, and Daniel was in the group of teenagers, returned them to Babylon. And he began to train them in the ways of Babylon. He didn't really value their training as Israelites, as people who lived in Jerusalem, but what he, what he valued about them was that they were people of influence. And he longed to let these young people become full-fledged Babylonians, so that they could encourage the rest of their people who lived in the environs of Jerusalem to become Babylonians as well. But Daniel, he was somebody who worshipped God. He didn't worship the same gods of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He longed to be faithful to God, along with a number of his friends. And so, he lived in a really crazy time. 
He lived in a time when he was trying to figure out, how do I live and keep living in this place that's very different from my own home, where they don't value our stories, they don't value what we hold true, they don't value what we believe, they really don't value us, except for the reality that we can be tools and instruments to influence a larger population group. How do we, how do we stay true to what we know about who God is? And so the book of Daniel has, has been used by a number of people to... Uh, to look at a, a lot of different things. But as I took it up and I began to read, as I began to read the story again, and for me it was like renewing the story that I had already known. There are times, though, that I would suggest to you that the Holy Spirit comes along and he invites you to take up and read things that you've never read. And maybe, um, maybe you've heard the Spirit calling to you, inviting you to take up and read a portion of Scripture or read a scripture. But the Spirit led me to the book of Daniel. So I began to read. Went through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and heard those stories. Came to chapter 6. In chapter 6, uh, for most, well, if, you, if you're familiar with stories that they tell in Sunday school, or if you're familiar with Bible stories at some level, you've probably heard the story about Daniel and the lion's den. And there's a picture of this. This story actually takes place when Daniel's in middle age, or maybe just a little older than middle age. Probably about uh, 550 B.C., somewhere in there, is when this story takes place. But the story isn't just about Daniel in the lion's den. The story begins at the, at the start of chapter 6, with a change in leadership taking place. Nebuchadnezzar, the king that sacked Jerusalem, that brought Daniel into Babylon, has died, and he's been replaced. And a new king by the name of Darius is on the throne. And Darius has been looking at all of the people who might staff his government, and he's made a decision. Daniel is to be one of his chief counselors, somebody really close to him. It's almost like they've got three vice presidents, and Daniel is, is supposed to be one. But in that circle and in that environment, there are a lot of people who don't want Daniel to be that close to power. And so they set a trap in, in motion. They know that Daniel is devoted to God. They know that Daniel prays. They can't find anything in Daniel's character. They can't find anything in his records. They can't find anything in his emails that would disqualify him from, there you go, you're still here. Um, they can't find anything that would disqualify him from, from being a leader, except for the reality that he prays, and he prays often. And so they ask the king to make a rule. The king isn't cognizant of all this, but they come to him, and they, they butter him up. They, they talk about how great he is, and they say, king, we think, think you ought to make a rule that nobody should pray to you, only you, for the next 30 days. The king's like, that's a great idea. I'm a great guy. I think I'll make that rule. And so he, he puts it in motion. But Daniel prays to Yahweh. And though the king is a fine king, and he, and he works for the king, Daniel is not going to stop praying to Yahweh. In fact, in the midst of the story, we have this verse in Daniel 6. It says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had open windows that faced Jerusalem. So Daniel knelt down and he prayed, and he praised his God three times that day. Oh, keep it. Where'd it go? There, there it is. So just like he always did, 
Daniel prayed. He lives in this land where nobody values the things that he values mostly. But Daniel has seen God work, and he knows who God is. And so, though he lives in this place where, where few have the same values, few have the same faith, in fact, this faith even now puts him into a place where he's at a great disadvantage. He continues to take up a place, a time for prayer. He keeps turning his heart and his head and his, his whole body, in fact. His whole body is positioned. It says he gets down and he kneels and he faces Jerusalem. He's like, what do I know is true? This I know is true, that there is a God, that Yahweh exists, and I'm called to be in relationship with Yahweh. So he continues to pray. Well, the trap works. The people have been watching his life. They watch that he prays. They go to the king. Daniel's arrested. Uh, he's taken before the king. The king's like, Daniel, you, you arrest Daniel. Daniel's my favorite dude. I don't want to send Daniel to, to his death. But all the advisors say, king, you have to. You signed a law. Now the law has to stick. You, you can't override your own law. Evidently, he's not that so great of a king. So they say, you have to send Daniel to lion's den, like you said you were going to do. And so off Daniel goes to lion's den. It's an interesting way the writer does this. The writer keeps including the king so much in the story to the point where it's, it's like there's more emphasis on the king than even on Daniel. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the king has, has a pivotal part to play. And the king fasts and he prays overnight as Daniel's in the lion's den. And then the next morning, it says the king runs to the den. He throws the door open. I don't know if he throws the door open because there's lions inside. But he at least throws a hatch open. And he says, Daniel, how are you? How are you, Daniel? And Daniel replies with these words. Then Daniel answered the king, long live the king. My God sent his messenger. And he shut the lion's mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. And I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. Now, keep those words up there for just a minute. There's a couple of things I want to point out to you about what Daniel does here within this context. Number one, uh, he speaks kind words to the king. Now, if somebody had ordered you to be thrown to the lions, I'm going to guess that the first thing out of your mouth back to that person are probably not going to be kind words to that person, right? Like, you're probably not going to remind the person that you care about them, you like them, you think that they're a great king. Daniel has this way of speaking kind words back to the king, of speaking with kindness. And I don't think it's necessarily trying to butter the king up. He's just, the dude is genuinely kind. He's able to do what Jesus calls us to do in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, a lot of people say, you know, um, you know, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say, when somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. You're like, how do you, how, who does that, Jesus? Jesus could say, well, Daniel did it. Daniel was able to speak kindness to the king. But he, he not only spoke kindness to the king, but he told the king what God had done. He didn't put any fancy words to it. He just told the king what God had done. God had sent a messenger, closed the lion's mouth, and he's still alive. And in that moment, in Daniel's speaking, he describes what God is up to. He describes God's actions in his own life, and he does it with great kindness. 
Then the king says, great, pull him out. So they pull him out. And then the king says, the people who set the trap, I don't trust them. Throw them in. They go in. And then the lions do what the lions do. And then the king says, by the way, I'm going to write a new law. And the new law says, we need to pray to Daniel's God. And so then the king composes what we would call a psalm. And it's put in the scriptures. I think one of the things that God would have us see is that there is nobody, nobody who's an outsider to God. And that everybody, everybody can sing a song that is worthy of God and be included in, in the chorus around God's throne. Everybody's got a place. So the king writes that chorus, puts it in there, and then it comes down to a summary statement. The writer comes down to a summary statement about Daniel's life. And the summary statement goes like this. And so Daniel was made prosperous during the rule of Darius and then during the rule of, of Cyrus, the Persian. Um, the writer says he was made prosperous. The first thing we might think about is, is like he was made wealthy, but prosperous is more than just wealth. Daniel has a life that prospers. He has a life that, that is joyful. He has a life that's free. He has a life th where there's stuff that's put in him that's, that's, that's taken out, and it overflows to other people. He has a life of meaning, a life of significance. Daniel's life flourishes because of what God is up to and how Daniel's been faithful to God. So as I read that story, it came down to those, those elements there, and I was thinking about how we describe or how a number of people describe events that they're going through is crazy. I began to think, what would Daniel say to us? What would Daniel say as a bit of wisdom, when we find ourselves in a place where we say, our world's just crazy at the moment. There's three things that I'd like to suggest to you. First thing I think Daniel would say to us is this. How well do you pray? What's your prayer life like? Daniel prayed three times a day. Systemically, he went to the Lord in prayer. He sought God's heart. He, he opened his own heart to God. What's your prayer life like? Um, as I was thinking about Daniel praying three times a day in a certain place, facing towards Jerusalem, his body posture something, I thought about some things that were helps in our own community, in our own neighborhood, to practicing prayer, right? Like, never getting to a place where you're like, I'm really great at prayer, but just helps along the way so that we can, we can pray like Daniel did, often, frequently. And one of the places I thought about was the chapels at our local hospitals. Um, this is the chapel at Mercy. I don't know if you've, you've been in there, but I know a number of you work there. Sometimes, from time to time, you go there. And I was, I was thinking about you who are in the medical profession and doctors and nurses and specialists. And I was thinking about how both Mercy and Cox and other places have places set aside as a chapel, as a place of prayer. I was thinking, what a, what a gift is open to us, to you to just take a few moments in the midst of your day and to walk to a place that's set aside for prayer. It's a chapel. Maybe you don't work in either one of those places, but I'm going to guess that somewhere in the midst of your day, there is a place that is set aside as a quiet place, as a place to sit and to engage with God. And I'd, I think Daniel would really say to us, do it, find that place. One of the things that... Um, one of the places I like 
to just sort of stop and pray is <clears throat> in the prayer garden out here. We have a statue of, of Jesus that's there. And some of you will notice this if you've got a background in, in Catholicism. You'll know that this statue is actually called the, the Sacred Heart of Jesus statue because Jesus' heart is right out there on the, the front side of it. And every time I, I see that statue, notice that statue out of the glimp, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I just sort of stop for a moment. And I'm reminded that the statue is meant to reflect what God's heart is like, what Jesus' heart is like towards us. It's an open heart. It's a caring heart. It's a heart that, that beats for the world, that beats for us, that beats for me, whatever, wherever I'm at, whatever situation I'm in. And it's, it's a beautiful thing about prayer. It's not just us talking, but it's us being reminded of what God's up to. There's another instrument that I, I've used from time to time. It's called a prayer rope. And I don't know if you've ever, um, ever seen anything like this, but I learned to pray the Jesus prayer with the help of this prayer rope. And on every beat, I would begin saying the Jesus prayer, which is just a short prayer. It's been around, well, there's seeds of it in the New Testament. It goes something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I would pray that over and over and over going from bead to bead to bead. Because what I really wanted to do was get to the place where I could do as what the Apostle Paul says, pray continually. Pray with a heart that is, is never ceasing. Um, Daniel would just, I think, speak a word to us like, in the midst of whatever craziness you have, where are you praying? Where are you finding a place? to turn your heart to what God's up to. Another thing I think Daniel would say to us is, uh, uh, speak with kindness. Speak with humility. Speak of what God is up to. We can, we can oftentimes get to a place where we see different things and um, our words come out in ways that aren't full of kindness. They're not full of humility. I was uh, encouraged. A friend of mine has been tweeting for a long time. Uh, I'm not a frequent Twitter user, um, but every time I go on Twitter, I find that he typically has some kind words to say. In fact, about five years ago, he started a practice of doing a grateful tweet a day. Uh, how many of you are good at math? Can you figure out? He says, grateful day, 1791. About how many years is that? Anybody know? Good at math, got your calculator, about five years. Imagine that. Imagine what a, what a thankful word every day would do to your own heart, to your own disposition, to the things you see over five years of time. He challenges me to think about, can I say something grateful, praiseworthy every day? Daniel finds good things to say to the king, even to the king that threw him into the lion's den. Then um, the last thing that I think Daniel allows us to see and he would encourage in us is to come to the place where we realize that God is God and that God is sovereign and that we have these moments, we see these things in our own life, in our own story, in the history that we're living and we think, oh my goodness, what's up, what's, what's ahead? And we can sometimes become... Uh, we can become stiff because we don't know what to do. 
Daniel never gets to that place. He's got this sense of ease and the sense of joy that, because he's got this understanding that God is God. God writes a story of, of Israel. God writes a story of, of himself. God writes a story that is yet to come. And so he's able to let God write the story for him. He knows that God is, is watching over him, protecting him. On the trip that we took, we stopped in Philadelphia. And one of the places we stopped at in Philadelphia was a, was a church. I took my kids to four churches in Philadelphia. I think they were churched out after that. We went to this, this was the final church we went to. It was called Mother Bethel AME Church. And AME stands for African Methodist Episcopal Church. This church was started in 1791, started by a guy by the name of Richard Allen, who was born in 1760. In 1784, he was at the founding conference that began the Methodist Church in America with Francis Asbury and a number of other people. And by 1791, he was at a place where he was, um, he was trying to minister to people in Philadelphia, especially to people who were slaves or runaway slaves or even uh, free African Americans. And they found it a great discomfort for the people who were Anglos. They found the Anglos only wanted the African Americans to show up really early to use their building. And so Richard Allen said, let's go and let's, let's find our own place. Let's find our own place where we can worship. And so they did. In 1791, uh, they bought this tract of land that this church sits on today. And by 1816, the African Methodist Episcopal Church was started and founded with, with four other churches, and Richard Allen became a bishop. Richard Allen would die in 1830, or 1831. When he was born, he was born as a slave. When he died, he was free, and yet slavery still existed. He'd founded a church. He'd started a new denomination, and God was at work. And yet there were things that were yet undone. This year, this year that group of people are going to celebrate 200 years. Could Richard, Allen, could Richard Allen have imagined that? Could he have seen into the future what God would do with his beginnings? I, I have a hard time seeing till next week. But, you know, Richard Allen worked and he prayed and he functioned as if somebody he knew that God was in control. God takes all this stuff of our lives and God oversees it. One final story for you. One of the places we stayed in, uh, on our trip was in, in New York. We, Anna went on Airbnb and she found us a place to stay close to Central Park. It happened to be on the north side of Central Park, which was in the, in the middle of downtown Harlem which was a fantastic experience, except for two moments that were really critical and uh, stressful in our own life. And that was the moment where we had to unpack all of our gear out of our minivan for seven people, because there were seven of us traveling, and we had to get it into the apartment, and we had to double park on a one-way street. And when I came back down to, to get some more stuff, I found that there was a a big delivery van that was about ready to plow us over, to, you know, to make a way. And I'm like, this is not good. This um, unloading in New York City is a, is a stressful thing. And then we had to think about loading back up and getting back out of there. So we made a plan. And the plan was is that our oldest son, Moses, who's got a, um, he's got a bunch of red hair on the top of his head, he would set with our minivan. 
while we gathered the bags out of the top, and the van would be running. So if, if he needed to move for any reason, he could move. He could go around the block, and he'd come back, and he'd pick us up. He could move. And so I left him in the driver's seat. I ran up to the apartment to get our gear, and I came back down. And as I came out the door, there was a guy uh, who worked on the street, lived on the street. I don't know. He was, he was on the street there. He tapped me on the shoulder. He said, sir, sir. He says, I've been trying to, to get your son's attention. I've been tapping on the window, but he won't put his window down. And I, I said to myself inside, I'm like, uh, you think? Uh, like, okay, what's this about? And he's like, so I've been trying to tell your son that if you park there, you're parked at the front of a bus stop. And a bus, every time a bus comes by to stop and pick people up, it takes a picture of your, of your license plate. And he says, if you stay there, you're going to get a nice, like, $300 ticket from the city of New York if you keep staying there. He's like, okay, thanks. So we load up really fast because we're like, not, we're under lots of pressure here. So we load all this stuff up. And Moses jumps out of the side and he walks around and he's going to get in the other side. And the guy in that moment, he says, he looks at Moses and he shakes his finger. He says, you all right, Carrot Top. You all right, Carrot Top. That made me laugh. Like it's making you laugh. But then there's just this realization right there in that moment. In that very real crazy moment of life. That this guy didn't have to watch over us. He didn't have to speak to us. He didn't have to try and get our attention. I don't even know if he is a permanent resident of that place. Maybe it was an angel. But whatever uh, he, whoever he is or whatever he does on a routinely basis, in that moment, he became a constant reminder that God is watching over us. He's putting people in our lives to say, I see you. And I know what you're up to. I know what you face. And life sometimes may get really crazy. But I see you. And it's going to be all right. So friends, listen to the voice and the wisdom of Daniel. Pray. Speak kindly. Speak with grace. Speak of what God's been doing. And then just let God be God. Would you pray with me today? Father, thanks for your goodness, your kindness. Thanks for your faithfulness to us, that you watch over us. Lord, many of us, from time to time, think that we are living sometimes some lives that are really crazy. Would you simply remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness? Would you remind us how you call us to yourself, to your heart? And would you remind us that you are God and that the fullness of our days, the fullness of our days are in your hands. And so help us walk and trust and live with much joy in your hands.